can open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6. And we're looking here today at verse 14 through 29. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. Let's hear God's Word. So King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who sent and seized John. And bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I'll give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? She said, for the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and he beheaded him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter, and he gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Here you see this incredible detour in the text, uh, a flashback, a memory, a a trauma that triggered uh, this story to come forth for us. Here, at the beginning of verse 14, we see that King Herod has now heard of it. What did he hear of? Oh, so far in, this, in Mark's account of the gospel, he's heard of uh, Jesus performing miracles, caring for people, the crowds flocking to him, him preaching the gospel of repentance and belief. And King Herod, when he heard of it, because Jesus' name had become known, and it spread like wildfire, as we know, and that's why the crowds gathered all about him. It's because his name was spreading, especially for what he had been doing in, in his miracles. And here, now all of a sudden, we get this uh, picture of what the people were beginning to think who Jesus was. There, at the second half of verse 14, says, Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. It's incredible to think about their, their first thought. They had not even experienced. So uh, Jairus' daughter, who Jesus did raise from the dead, it was in secret. So these people had not seen him yet raise 
someone who has been dead. And so this was their suggestion that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And he is the one doing these miraculous works. That's why it says these miraculous powers are at work in him. The funny thing about that is John the Baptist didn't do miraculous works. He didn't do miraculous works. He preached, repent, repent, flee from your uh, wishful thinking, flee from your sinful lives, repent and believe. That was John the Baptist's ministry. He was an odd man, a man like no one else, but he did not do the miraculous. He did not need to expel or display any sort of miraculous powers, but yet, here they say, some say it says, that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are working him. But others said, uh, verse 15, he is Elijah. He's Elijah. Which is interesting, the connection made to Elijah. And, and even in, when, as the story unfolds, how the king's wife hated uh, John the Baptist, so did uh, Elijah. Queen Jezebel hated him to the point of death to Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet. It's interesting, this whole encounter then from here goes into a, a triggered memory that is flowing from a sense of guilt. A crushing guilt in Herod. He is faced with significant pain when he hears of what Jesus is doing. And he likens it to John the Baptist. A righteous man. A holy man. A man doing the work of God. A man with a message of God. A man with a message of repentance from your sin. And that triggers Herod to a point of panic, to the reminder of the crushing guilt that he has faced since the moment he had John the Baptist beheaded. Jesus is the, the figure here, not John, but yet Herod is so uh, overwhelmed by a sense of guilt. The weight of his guilt will not leave him. It could, but it won't, because he has not believed the message of John and he does not believe the message of Jesus to repent, to turn from his sin, to trust in a better way, a way of forgiveness. I wonder from that day that Herod had John the Baptist um, beheaded, how did he try to reconcile himself? He did not want to do that. So how did he live every day trying to make up for it? Did he become a gracious king? Did he become a humble man? What did he do? Because we know that you and I, when we sin, if we, um, prior to believing the gospel, we would try to make up for that, right? Try to become a good person. Try to outweigh the bad things with the good. Try to alleviate our guilt some way. Let me just do good things. That's what people try to do to alleviate guilt. So what did Herod do? I wonder, because here, how much later now is he still feeling the weight of this guilt? He feels it. While others say, this is probably Elijah, some thought maybe it was John the Baptist. But it's so interesting, too, because when um, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, as we now call him, uh, an angel appeared to his father, Zechariah, right? And so in Luke chapter 1, there's this uh, record of the angel speaking to John the Baptist's dad. and said this, 
Uh, and speaking of the baby, of John the Baptist. And he will go before him, Jesus, in spirit and in power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John the Baptist's job was to prepare the way for the Lord. Well, the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4 is literally quoted there. It's anticipating this, this one who would come in the spirit of Elijah, exactly like Elijah. Pretty much a carbon copy of Elijah was to come. And to be a prophet who would proclaim but also prepare the way for the Lord. It was prophesied over John the Baptist while he was still in his mother's womb. This was the one who would come in the spirit of Elijah. And so, also, isn't Jesus the same? That he would come preaching a gospel of repentance. That he would be um, uh, one that is set apart as a prophet of God. And that's what triggers Herod. He's not knowing who this Jesus is, but he is convinced that this is the ghost of the man he killed. That this is a resurrected uh, version of the man that he had murdered. Others thought for sure that this man, Jesus, was a prophet like of old. It says there in verse uh, 15, he is a prophet like the other prophets of old, which is amazing because what the prophets did was most of the time did not perform miraculous. They just preached the word. They preached the word of God and were proven to be true. That's what made them a prophet. They were proven that what they said God would do, what God did say, was true. And so they, the people, the crowds, either thought this is a prophet like John, who's preaching repentance, or it's, he's, this is Elijah, who has come again, or this is just another one of the prophets who is true. He is from God, most certainly. But Herod said all their suggestions aside, he said, no, this is a ghost. This is... John, who has come back to haunt me for my sin. The guilt that I feel in this moment is overwhelming. And it's incredible because this is not John. This is Jesus. But Herod is so heavy with his guilt. Now we have this recollection of what Herod did. It says in verse 17, For it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison. For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. So uh, Herod is overwhelmed with his sense of guilt. And he is guilty. He was wrong. His, his brother Philip, his wife Herodias, left him to now marry Herod. It was wrong. She shouldn't have done that. There was no valid reason for Philip had not died. She was not released from their marriage vows. And yet, she left her husband for Herod. And, and John had been saying, it's not lawful, it's not right for this to take place. And so then, for the sake of Herodias, because whether it was Herod so desperately wanted her, his, his longing for her, for the sake of Herodias, he had John um, seized and bound and put in prison. It's incredible the what guilt will do to try to uh, captivate the moment, to try to control the moment. He put him in prison because he preached the truth. And Herod knew it was the truth. And Herodias knew it was the truth. They knew it. 
And yet, they still punished who? John. John the Baptist was punished for the sin of Herod and Herodias. It's incredible to think. Now, this weight of guilt that is still on Herod. Because he knew at the heart it was wrong. He had an admiration of senses for John, but not Herodias. She was bitter. She was wicked. She was evil. She had a hatred in her heart toward John, because John preached the truth. John told them the truth. She had such a hatred in her heart. Look at verse 19. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. What? If someone tells you something that, that is true and therefore hurts your feelings and you're offended by it, you want to put them to death? I don't think any of us ever got to that point. This woman is so dark. She's so dark. She, she left her marriage vows because of her brother-in-law. And now in order to uh, try to think that she can live this way without a sense of guilt, put the man who makes me guilty away. But not just put him away, let's kill him. But incredibly, it says there, as much as she wanted to put him to death, end of verse 19 says, but she could not. She could not put him to death. She was prevented. Who was she prevented by? The other sinner, Herod. The other one who is guilty in this whole reason why John has come out against them. But Herod is the one who then, in in a sense, protects him. She couldn't because it says, verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. He feared him. He trembled at who John was and what John was like and what John was about. John was an interesting character and Herod was perplexed by him. Who he was and, and how he dressed and, and how he was such a nomad and such, uh, had such fervor for God. And it's interesting there, you note in verse 20, he says he knew that he was a righteous man. He knew that he was righteous. And so did that righteousness cause him to feel all the more guilt? He knew he was a holy man, that he had done nothing wrong. So for his wife to want to murder this man, he knew he was innocent in this regard. Doesn't sound an awful lot like Jesus. Innocent, but yet they wanted to kill him for something he is not guilty of. This was Herodias, his wife. Bitter, angry, grudge-holding. But Herod was different towards John. He knew he was in the wrong. He knew John was right. But he still went with it. Herod still embraced the same. John's right. He knows he's holy and righteous. He knows that what he's saying is true. That he is a prophet of God. That what he's saying is not lawful, is not lawful. And yet Herod still marries Herodias. Still goes through with it. But in that underlying sense of guilt, in that underlying uh, desire maybe to to know more, to to be near to the truth, he's preserving John's life. He's protecting him from his very wife because he knew that he was righteous and, and holy. When he heard him, look at the end of verse 20. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. He liked to hear what John said. He liked to hear what John said. He said, yes. Speak God's truth to me. Open the word. 
Share with me what God has said. It's incredible to me. But you know what? There are churches filled with thousands of people who think, yeah, I, I kind of like to hear what they say. And the messages sound nice. And yeah, Jesus sounds like a good guy. And those are good moral messages. Even though we might be, we all are guilty, right? And so even though people are still guilty, they come and they hear messages from God. This is Herod. Come, tell me, John. Tell me more. Tell me more about this one who is to come. And yet, as much as he was perplexed and he liked hearing from John, he heard him gladly come in, share with me, he still had a problem. He was still guilty because he still didn't repent. John's very message was repent. Turn from your way of life. Turn from trusting in yourself and trusting in a religious system and trust in God alone for forgiveness of sins. Herod did not and who knows, had he in that time of listening to John, had he turned, this would have ended very differently for John the Baptist. Verse 21, as much as Herod had tried and kept him safe, an opportunity came, it says. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Now here you see it's setting up the scene to show you that there is an opportunity and a temptation for Herod to be full of pride and fear of man. He's got all the most important people surrounding him. He's pretty, pretty great himself. But now he's going to be presented with an opportunity to um, hold up your image and to not look bad in front of all these important men or to do what's right. So he's got a choice to make. It's now presented to us this, this platter of, of, not John the Baptist yet, but this platter of, of men who he's there to impress. He invites all the nobles, all the commanders and the leading men on, on the entire area. Come, see how great I am. I'm going to throw you a feast. Come and look at me and what I can do for you. And he had entertainment. Herodias' daughter came in and danced, and she pleased not only Herod, but his guests. They, they enjoyed uh, her entertainment. And then he said, in his pride, and his showing off, says to the girl, whatever you ask of me, I'll give you. And then verse 23, he goes further. He says, even up to half of my kingdom. What a show off. In front of all these other men. Ah, yeah, I'll give you half the kingdom. Whatever you want, it's yours because you're so amazing. Yeah, didn't these men enjoy you? Look at how generous I am. I appreciate you this much. Look at me. And I think she asked for more than half his kingdom. She asked for his life, and not just John's. Herod now plagued with the guilt of murdering John the Baptist. He should have given up his entire kingdom instead of bearing the weight of this sin for the rest of his life. Sadly, she went out, spoke to her wicked mother, this woman evil, with this intent on killing John, and she sees this opportunity. Ah, I know that, Herod. He's not going to let down that promise in front of all those men. He's so full of pride. He doesn't want to uh, make a, a bad name for himself. Here's my opportunity. He wants to protect John. Well, I'm going to see if he's going to uphold his oath. If he's going to uh, do what he said he would do. So then, when the daughter asked in verse 24, what should I ask for? She said, the head of John the Baptist. Like, what? 
Why? Why now? John the Baptist is locked in a prison cell. Why do you still need his head? Why do you still need him dead? She's so wicked. This woman is so desperately wicked. And it's to also make a fool of not only John, who thought maybe he was safe, and Herod, who thought he'd kept him safe, but it made a fool of Herod, because she knew that he would not uh, go back on his word. She was a wicked woman, not only towards John, but towards her former husband and uh, Herod himself. So then, verse 25, the daughter comes in immediately with haste to the king, asked, saying, I want you to give me the, at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. At once. Not just like, hey, one day I want to see John dead in front of your guests. Make this happen today, or you, you, may, you may not. Do it now. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, I wonder for that daughter, I've always wondered this as I read, like, did she truly want this? Like, had her mother's hatred of John rubbed off on her? Was she just doing what her mother said? What did she really think when she received what she asked for? It's devastating to think that she'd been roped up into this occasion of a grievous sin, the sin of murder of an in this case, innocent man. He was innocent of these crimes. So look at verse 26. The king was exceedingly sorry. He was broken. He knew that John was right. He knew that John was holy. He was a man of God. He was delivering God's message. And now, he has to be the one to say the word, kill him. But for what? Just kill him. Chop off his head and bring it here. Was he embarrassed when the head finally came? I can guarantee he was ashamed. But did he have a smile on to show his friends? Oh yeah, I'm tough. This didn't mean anything. Useless John the Baptist. What did the guests think? Probably thought it was funny. It was entertaining. Just as much as the dance. But this is plagued Herod. He was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths, verse 26 says, and his guests, he didn't want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and he beheaded him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and he gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother because that's who ultimately wanted it. So when the disciples heard of it, John's disciples... They came and they took his body and they honored him. They laid it in a tomb. Herod, the one who is greatly perplexed, enjoys the teaching of John, knows he's holy and righteous, knows his message is true. Now, because of the sin of pride, because of uh, an oath, he is plagued with guilt. Now the weight of his guilt has come to haunt him, remember? This account, this story, this recollection only comes because Jesus is present. Jesus is there doing the work of God himself with his own hands, God in the flesh. And Herod is convicted afresh. The guilt has not left him. And you and I know that if uh, we have guilt in our hearts and we have unrepentant sin, sin we are unwilling to uh, to turn from, 
When we are faced with holiness and righteousness, we, we cower, we flee, we're, we're triggered, as was Herod, to recall the wicked we have done. But the problem is, we have no indication that this, this trigger, this pain, has caused Herod to do anything but cry all the more. What should he have done? But repent. He should have repented. Because that's the beautiful thing. He could have been free from this guilt as much as it would still be a scar on his heart. As when you and I have sinned and repented, God says he takes those sins away, but we know it still impacts us. There's still earthly consequences. There's still pain that we feel. But at the end of the day, we believe Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ, we may try to condemn ourselves, but we can't. Satan may try to condemn us, but he can't. And the great judge would never condemn us because he condemned Christ on our behalf. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That could have been for Herod. He could have had no more condemnation when Jesus comes and he recalls the sin. That This is reminding me kind of of the story of John, the man who I murdered because of my sin. At that moment, he could have taken that pain and rejoiced in the grace of God. But instead, he is frightened under the weight of his guilt. And he's crippled by it again. You see, for John... The reward of faithful service to God. What was it? Health and wealth and happiness? No. It was being bound for proclaiming the truth. Ultimately uh, beheaded because he proclaimed God's truth. God's truth. Stirred up evil in the opposition, which is much like Christ. Perfectly righteous, completely holy, preached the truth, innocent, bound, beaten, and killed. Because of a lie. Because of guilty people. Woe to those that teach that following God's way is never painful. Look for John. It was painful. And it was the, the bringing about of his death. But also, woe to those who, upon seeing Jesus, as did Herod, may also hear Jesus and listen to Jesus, enjoy the teachings of Jesus, be in fear and awe at Jesus, but yet never repent. Woe to them. Their guilt eats them away. As it did for Herod. And the guilt will never leave. No matter how you numb it. No matter how you try to explain it away. The only way to free ourselves from guilt is to believe the gospel. To believe in Jesus who had come. To believe the, the message that he said. Repent. Turn from your sin, admit your wrongs, and trust in God to forgive you and to give you life, to give you hope. We see the weight of Herod's sin crushing him. He hears about Jesus, what he's like, what he's been saying, what he's been doing, and his guilt for his past sin haunts him with a weight. The same thing happens to you and I if we don't believe the gospel. We are haunted when righteousness is present, when Jesus is truly preached, when the reality of hell is reminded to us, we're haunted. 
It happens when we don't believe the gospel, but it also happens when we forget the gospel. When guilt gnaws at us. It gnaws away at your heart. Unrepented sin plagues us, causing us to do very sad things, doesn't it? We neglect Bible reading, prayer, gathering with the saints. We're distant from God. We are under a heavy weight when we do not repent of a sin. We refuse to let this one thing go. To give it to God, to, to ask for forgiveness, to say, I need your help to not do it again. It is wrong, and I don't want to carry it anymore. We are crushed under the weight of sin. But, thanks be to God, that through our Lord Jesus Christ, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The very things that plague us, that, that, that make us feel dirty and wrong and that we can't even approach God, it says, if you confess them, He is faithful. He will cleanse you from that unrighteousness. Oh, that Herod would have been cleansed. Oh, that you and I would be cleansed. We're so thankful to, in that pain and in, in those moments where we remember the, the weight of our sin and what it really did, to Christ himself, it causes a pain that results in rejoicing because he did it in love. He did it willingly. He did it for you and for God's glory. And so then we rejoice. That guilt can turn into glory when we realize that it has been finished. It's been done away with. We're no longer under the slavery of sin. We are no longer under the condemnation of our sin. Sin has no more sting on us. There's no more separation from God for us. So we rejoice with a joy that is inexplicable and full of glory. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. We don't need to flee. We don't need to run. We don't need to hold within this guilt and be um, re re recalling it all the time. Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. We have redemption, forgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 8, recalling what Jesus said, he said, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Herod remembered his sin. Do you remember your sins? You may remember them, but do they plague you? Does the guilt gnaw away at your life and your heart and cause you to act in a certain way? If it does, turn. Turn. Turn from it again. You, you, you may be honestly and genuinely a Christian, but if your sin is gnawing away at you, you do the very thing that we are told to do in the very beginning. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from it and believe that he will forgive you. He has forgiven you and he will help you tomorrow. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is for us every day so that we're not under the weight of this. He'll remember our sins no more. He does not hold them against us, nor should we. We ought not hold our sins against us. If we do, we're disbelieving the gospel. We disbelieve that Jesus actually paid for that sin, that Jesus actually was punished and condemned for that sin. If you still condemn yourself, what happened to Jesus? He was already condemned for that sin. Let's rejoice instead of uh, recoil. Let's draw near instead of push away from God.
Oh, that Herod would come out from under the weight of his sin and repent. Oh, that you and I may daily, under God's grace, live there instead of under the guilt of sin. We ought not be like Herod. We ought to be like sons and daughters of the Most High who say we are free indeed. We are free from the weight of sin and guilt because he has done it. So then we rejoice. We rejoice. And it's incredible to learn of this uh, recollection of Herod. He's faced with Jesus and he recalls immediately the guilt of his sin. When we are faced with Jesus, we remember the guilt of our sin, but the glory of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are perplexed that you, you are holy and righteous, perfect, and you have a right hatred of sin and sin in us. And yet, you've loved us with a steadfast love, an everlasting love that it will never leave us or forsake us. For those of us who are in Christ, we thank you. And we just pray, O oh God, that when we are uh, feeling the guilt, when we are feeling plagued with a, a memory of a sin, that you would remind us again of the gospel. That you would remind us that it is finished and that there we can rejoice. We can take joy in what Christ has done and how he lives for us. God, we thank you so much that we don't have to be under the weight of guilt and sin any longer. Instead, we can be under the weight of your grace, which is lavished upon us. Help us to live there rejoicing for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.